I'm Mel Kettle, and you're listening to This Connected Life, the show where connected leaders share their experience, values, and strategies that have helped them become more connectable so they achieve success in life and business. My guest on this podcast today is my friend Sharon Natoli. Sharon is an optimist who believes in the power of food to connect humanity to a better future. How beautiful is that? Sharon writes and speaks about building human connection through the humble yet surprisingly powerful act of eating together. And as a fellow foodie and eaty, it is no wonder we get on as well as we do. Welcome, Sharon. Thanks, Mel. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited about having this conversation about food. Um, I think you know and my listeners know that a couple of months ago I interviewed Danny Vallant and we talked about food. Danny and I didn't time our conversation very well because neither of us had had lunch and I'm sure you can hear (laughs) our stomachs grumbling through that conversation. But I'm happy to say it's two o'clock in Brisbane and I have just finished eating a vast amount of food. Oh, that's good to hear. So I will not be hungry. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much for joining me. My first question that I ask all of my guests is what does connection mean to you? Yes, and that's a great question. Thanks, Mel. Look, I actually really like Brene Brown's definition of connection. And Brene is an author and a social research and a storyteller. And she's written Daring Greatly and Dare to Lead and a few other books. And she defines connection as the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard and valued. And I really like that definition because it really does tie into how I also define the way we get connection through food. So, and I think that if you have one of those elements, if you feel seen, you you, you have a sense of connection, say if you're in person with somebody, for example, um, and if, if you feel heard, you know, you get another, I guess, layer of connection from that. And if you feel valued, you know, you appreciate that, that adds another layer again. And I think that if you can generate all those three things together, you get that deeper sense of connection. Um, and so you can have connection with one of those or any combination, but all three together, I think that's where you get that deeper connection. And and I think food and eating together uh, lends itself to all of those three elements through being together, having conversation, you know, being heard and having the opportunity to speak and share our thoughts. And then also, of course, food uh, being something that lends itself to giving and receiving. So the idea of building in gratitude and appreciation. So, um, Yes, seen, heard and valued I really like as a definition of connection. Yeah, that's one of my favourites as well and you're definitely not the first podcast guest to have given me that quote when I've asked that question (laughs) and I think that's a real testament to how important it is that we are seen, heard and valued and I especially love that you take that philosophy and apply it to eating together and to food. And I remember the first time you told me that you were writing a whole book about the importance of eating together at work. I did have an internal eyebrow raise and think, (laughs) how on earth are you going to get enough to write a book? But then I thought about my experiences of eating together in the workplace and the value and the benefit of that and thought, yeah, okay, I think I can understand. But tell me why you wanted to write a book on that. Like why is it so important to you that people eat together at work? Yeah, look, it's, it's really interesting and I, and I think that people probably might have that same kind of thought, like how could you have a whole book on eating together at work? It's such a simple thing. But in a way that's kind of the power and, and the value of it is that it is such a simple and accessible thing that we can do every day. 
And the more, the interesting thing for me too is the more I delved into it, you know, I had an idea that, of course, eating together helps to build relationships and connection and uh, provides an opportunity for informal conversation and that sort of thing. But the more I looked into it, the more research I did, the more I could see the connection between that and some of the elements that, you know, leaders are really interested in, like how eating together as a team helps to build cohesion and culture. um, And that helps to, of course, build productivity and when we eat together and we're having that kind of informal conversation and that more chaotic environment it also lends itself to a culture of innovation Uh, and so and and there are so many aspects that link eating together with the values that an organization might have uh, with the things that we're seeking um, as leaders so retention and growth and and that strong culture which we know has a, a real impact in terms of people's desire to stick around give their best do their best work so There are so many elements to eating together that can be drawn on by leaders looking to really develop that team connection, cohesion and and to develop a strong culture. Mm. I certainly know the first time I worked in an organisation where we ate together as a team was when I worked in a restaurant when I was in my probably early 20s and we had a team dinner before we started service in the evenings and we did the same before lunch and often the purpose of that was just to try what the specials on the menu were but it was a great way of just coming together getting to know each other a little bit more it was usually very quick and fairly gobbled (laughs) but it was just still a lovely way to start a shift you could see who else was there you could have a quick chat about people's day so far and what you wanted out of the session or out of the shift and it it made a really big difference. That's something that I've always personally tried to carry forward in my work environments as well, particularly when I moved out of hospitality and into an office environment. Yes, and I think that today we we sort of have these hyper-busy schedules and turbocharged cultures and that pause in the day, you know, that opportunity to stop and to take a breath and just to have that informal conversation is so important and I think that that can get often pushed out in in cultures where we are running from one thing to the next. And so in a way, eating together is kind of, it can be one of the only opportunities that we get to kind of have that informal interaction. Yeah, I like that. I'm just thinking back to a really crazy job I had where we were running conferences and events and we didn't have time to eat lunch together every day, but we would go for a drink after work, which would often involve food probably once a week if not twice a week and then once a quarter my team and I would have dinner together and it would be a home-cooked meal either at my home or someone else's home and I'll never forget the first time we did that we were working well as a team but there was a lot of opportunity to improve and I couldn't believe how much the bonds between us individually and collectively strengthened after that first dinner where there was good food and a lot of alcohol consumed. (laughs) And I woke up the next morning to see four of my teammates were sleeping on the floor of my living room. (laughs) So we all went back and went into work together the next day, which just, you know, helped with those bonds. But we were a young team. I was the oldest. I was 29. Most of us were single. None of us had mortgages or children or big family commitments. And so it was a relatively easy thing for us to socialise outside of work. Whereas Mm. I think most teams, most work teams don't have that ability to socialise outside of work. So what do you recommend or what are some tips and advice that you've got for workplaces and leaders who want to share food at work or eat together at work? 
Yes, look, and thanks for your story. You're a great example of just the benefits that can come from eating together. I did a lot of interviews for my book and there are many ways, uh, many things that organisations are doing right from like Canva, who's an, who, who you'd be familiar with in terms of serving food to their team, like breakfast and lunch from their kitchen, using food uh, that's been grown on a plot of land um, near the Hawkesbury and kind of creating this whole circular system within the business to support their values of sustainability and nourishing and nurturing their team. So that's like an example of, I guess, an extensive thing that can be done to bring teams together and to really highlight the values that the company has. Through to, uh, you know, I interviewed... Adam O'Donnell, who worked the armed forces, and as a leader, he talks about having a really bad day with his team, not you know, going out, not knowing whether the person in front of you was the enemy or on the same side, and then planning to kind of have this spontaneous opportunity of or taking up the opportunity that he'd created by kind of stashing some eggs and bacon into the transport vehicle before they left base and cooking up some bacon and eggs for his team, which he he talks about cooking it up in a metal cup and it tasted awful, but it just made all the difference to lifting the mood of the team when they'd had a really bad day and were very stressed and anxious. And the opportunity that provided to have a bit of a laugh and a bit of a chat and, again, that just informal banter, which really made a difference to the mood. So the the little things, uh, whether it's having a morning tea and getting people together around food for a meeting or to say thank you or a celebration, through to you know, holding to integrating food and eating together within the culture as something that the company does. So there are lots of little things. And another thing that I learned from talking to Caroline Creswell, who's the founder of Carmen's Muesli, is that she actually wrote into their company policy that she's banned desktop dining. So it's compulsory that everybody stops at 12.30 for at least 15 minutes. And they all eat together in the space that she purposefully planned as part of the new office environment that she put together or that she planned out in terms of where they work from now. So there are a lot of things that leaders can do, I guess, to create the culture of eating together from small things to quite big things that are integrated into the way that companies do business and work internally. Yeah, I love that. Banning desktop eating, while it might seem drastic, is a really great way to help people value the break and value the lunch break and just step away for a few minutes, even if it is just a few minutes, to be able to think about something different, rest their brain, have conversations that may not be work-related. And I think that too few organisations encourage that. I certainly remember another organisation I worked at where I used I used to have to argue with some of my staff and say to them, if you're eating at your desk, I'm going to assume you're still working and that I can interrupt you. So don't crack the shits when you're having lunch and I want to talk to you about a work thing if you're at your desk. We've got a very large, lovely, beautiful lunchroom. Go and use that if you don't want me to talk to you. And so many of them just didn't get it. And they're like, but I want to stay at my desk. And I'm like, well, don't be surprised if you get asked a work question by me or somebody else because a desk is to work, a desk is not to eat at. Yes, I think that we can fall into the trap of thinking that staying at our desk and working is a productivity hack when, in fact, it has the opposite effect because the human brain can only concentrate 
well for a, a certain period of time and after that our ability to concentrate, to focus, to do quality work declines. And so the idea that we're actually getting more done by just mm. simply staying at our desk is something that we need to flip on its head. And so that idea of banning desktop dining, um, you know, and eating at your desk is probably a good one from an organisational perspective anyway, knowing that productivity and quality work increases if you just stop and take a breath and pause and refuel. You know, it's refueling your body and your brain as well as creating those connections with your teammates that help to really create that cohesion, which then helps organisations to retain staff and build those relationships that are so important. Exactly. And a previous podcast I did, and I'll pop the link in the show notes because I've totally forgotten what number it was, I talked about the importance of resting your brain during the day and having a lunch break and leaving your desk is such a great way to do that because you do come back more productive and energised to focus on the afternoon. Yes, and it's part of that kind of mindfulness that organisations are also well aware of now and that's something that comes through and came through when I spoke to Caroline and she said that she's always had a philosophy that building in a little bit of mindfulness to your day is something that's beneficial from a productivity but also a focus and a, a calm you know maintaining calmness perspective and so she's taken that and built that into her her organization as part of what they do mm. but she had this great quote which is you know no one looks back at their life and says I wish I'd spent more time at my desk <laughs> and I think that's so true <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> do you have any do you have any advice for organizations where it does have this very much this workplace culture of you do everything at your desk and you eat at your desk and you stay there at lunchtime? Like how can organisations, what are some simple things that leaders and organisations can do to encourage people to move away from their desk at lunchtime and to eat in a different place and to maybe have a conversation with a colleague? So I think when it comes to what leaders can do and stepping away from the desk, often culture is, I guess, people model the behaviour of leaders. So it's ideal if leaders can model the type of behaviour that they're looking for and I guess to have an understanding about the important role that eating together can play to create relationships and to help really, I guess, introduce and, and embrace that human aspect of work by having people taking a break and eating together is that that leaders aren't eating at their desk and that they're coming into the lunchroom or the shared space and eating with others. That's a way that leaders can really get to know their team and help to encourage others to do the same thing. I think that's a really important thing. Often change does come from the top, although I did speak to um, a girl, Emma, who works at Mars, who's obviously one of the world's largest food companies, and she was quite instrumental in encouraging her co-workers to start a bit of an eating together ritual, which came out of her area in terms of her as a food technologist and product developer, developing up new foods and getting people together to try them, and then that turned into the team sort of getting together regularly to eat and share lunch, which then spread throughout their culture so you know I guess wherever you are you know within a business you know everyone has the opportunity to be a leader mm. leadership's not something we necessarily need to wait for you know we can we can take on that role at any point so it's I guess having that awareness that being busy and letting I guess the work and the tasks take over from everything to the point where we're not connecting with each other is actually more of a a disadvantage than you know an advantage for leaders in terms of what they're trying to achieve within the workplace. Yeah I really like that 
Early in my career, I worked for an organisation that had a dining room and a kitchen and an executive chef on staff, and he was available to provide cooked breakfast, lunch and dinner for individuals or for teams or for client meetings. And unfortunately, he was let go and that function was no longer offered by the time I joined the (laughs) organisation, which was really disappointing. But I just often wonder what the further reaching impact of that was other than encouraging people to stay at work and eat and, you know, work longer hours. And I could always, and I always used to think that I wonder whether it had a really positive impact on productivity because people would get to know each other better. And I certainly know a couple of organisations that I've heard of recently They're small businesses and so it's a bit easier to do this, but they provide a catered lunch for their staff every day. And it might be as simple as sandwiches or salads, but for the small amount of money, it encourages their people to take a break, to eat together, to have a conversation together, to get to know each other more. And he made some of these business owners maintain that that is what has helped them get through challenging times in the economy, challenges within their business from a smaller micro level and also, you know, increasing productivity, increasing staff longevity, increasing profit. Yeah, I think they're all really good points and a lot of what you've just said I can relate to certainly in terms of the research that I've done for the book and the interviews that I've had in a small business that I interviewed again, which were in retail. And, you know, for them, if people take a break across that 12 to 2 time, which is their busiest time within the retail environment that they're in, then they're always short-staffed over their busiest time. And so by eating together, they're, they're a small team of four, so they eat and cook together every lunchtime. It's like half an hour, they're all there together, they kind of cover the lunch break well, and so it has that kind of been customer service benefit um, as well as, as you say, like the conversations, um, which they wouldn't be able to have Otherwise, because they're all working in different areas of the store and they wouldn't they wouldn't connect if it wasn't for the fact that they eat together at lunchtime. Yeah, I really like that. What do you do personally in terms of eating with your clients? Do you have any practices where you have um, meetings over meals or where you invite them into your home or anything like that to feed them? Yeah, so um, since focusing on this whole area a lot more, I've been doing it more with my clients in terms of eating together and having a meeting over a meal. So it's generally more so going out somewhere with them. I haven't yet uh, gone to the extent, as I know you do, which is inviting your clients to your home to and you cook for them, which I think is so great. But that more informal kind of meeting and even, you know, like time, times leading into Christmas or other times of the year is just, just to, to connect with them, to build that relationship mm. um, is works really well, particularly if you're somebody, you know, that's working as a advisor or you know mentor to clients is that you're not in the the business as such so having that more informal time is really important um, I think for anybody that's working as an independent consultant or as an advisor or you know wanting to develop relationships with numerous organizations can be a really good strategy Mm. for that and creating that closer relationship which helps to build your business relationships over time. And also with my team, now that we we work 
virtually. So my team is in different locations. So we're actually we're getting together once a month to have lunch together and just, just to connect with no real agenda. I mean, we tend to work things will come up, but it's also that opportunity to mix that in with that informal conversation and relationship building and understanding, you know, what's going on in each other's lives. Yeah, I think that that's going to be even more important over coming days and weeks, particularly, you know, we're recording this in mid-March and the country's kind of in lockdown because of coronavirus and people are being encouraged to work remotely. And one of the things that worries me about that is that people are going to feel so much more isolated than they may otherwise have. And so how can workplaces, like I'd love to see workplaces having a virtual lunch break where people (laughs) get onto Zoom together or on a Skype group call and have share their lunches and show their lunches and just have 15 or 20 minutes having a conversation about stuff as you would if you were in the lunchroom at work or maybe having a virtual drink together at the end of the day or a virtual morning tea in the middle of the morning. So like I would love to see some of those initiatives in workplaces to help people feel that they're not the only person at home and they're not home alone and, you know, there are other people around. Yes, well, look, it's so funny that you should say that because I actually had that idea on over the weekend with all this happening and I'm just working on developing a concept called the virtual lunchroom, which is exactly what you've just said. So by the time this goes to air, uh, that should be up and running so that people can come to kind of like a almost like a lunch and learn and just a place to connect at lunchtime once a week Yeah, um, that. while that. this is on. Yes. I reckon that's a great idea. And one of the things that I'm going to start doing a lot more of as well as lunch and learns and, um, you know, I might have a salad in front of me and I can say this is what I'll be having for lunch when I finish talking. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, and, I, you know, I've spent a lot of time because of my background talking to people about what to eat, you know, and now I think that how we eat is just as important, if not more important. So certainly what we eat is important to nourish our physical health and well-being. But if you're eating, you know, if you're eating your salad in front of the television alone, feeling lonely and isolated, mm. uh, then that's not as good for your health as just tucking into, say, a big bowl of pasta with a bunch of friends while you're laughing and chatting. So we think about longevity and good health. It's our social connections and our relationships. My husband works shift work and the weeks that he works in the evenings and doesn't get home until about 10 o'clock at night. But the first night, I'm always really happy to have a meal on my own in front of the TV. But by the fourth night, I'm just like craving company and (laughs) craving conversation over food because it can get really lonely when you're just at home on your own all the time or, you know, eating in front of the TV. Mm. Yes, yes. And and, and also, um, I guess, acknowledging too that a lot of people do live alone and that loneliness is not necessarily just being alone, but it's more so feel, having a feeling of separation and, um, you know, not having those close relationships that you need. So I'm like you. I like I actually enjoy, you know, if I'm travelling, I, I love to go out and I'll eat on my own in a restaurant somewhere you know I'd rather do that than stay in the hotel room but I'm quite happy to eat on my own and it's kind of nice to just take your time and have that little bit of reflection time but there's a distinction I think an important distinction between kind of choosing that and being happy with that versus I guess feeling like you are isolated and alone. Yeah I agree I love eating in restaurants and cafes on my own and I hate going to movies on my own but I've got no problem eating a meal on my own because you can just people watch and 
there's just lots of things you can do when you're out and about by yourself. Yes, and so I think people will say in a workplace, you know, I don't, I don't always want to eat with my my colleagues, uh, and or there's poor relationships or what have you. So that eating together is something that, from a leadership perspective, is you know thinking about what works best, what's the best way to execute it, how can it help to build relationships or connect people that have been disconnected. There's a lot of things to think about if it's not currently part of the culture, but it's something that leaders are looking to introduce. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't need to be every day. You can start with once yes. a week, you know, and make yes. uh, one another workplace I was in, we would have lunch together every second Friday and we'd all chip in $10 or $15 and somebody would do a rundown to the local Thai restaurant and bring back a selection of delicious Thai curries and other things and we would just share a meal together and it was such a lovely way to get to know people. But just your point about social isolation, I think that my reading around that shows that it's becoming one of our biggest problems in society and has been increasing for a number of years and I think it's something that employers need to be worried about because when we feel socially isolated and we feel lonely which, as you've said, is very different from being alone, then that increases anxiety, that increases depression, and it can lead to a whole bunch of mental illnesses and mental health problems. And we know from research from organisations like Beyond Blue that the number one cause of long-term absence from work due to illness is because of anxiety and depression. Mm. And so I think as leaders and as employers, we've got such a responsibility to make sure that the people under our care in the workplace feel connected and feel confident that they've got someone they can talk to about their feelings of loneliness if they want to. Yes, yes, you're right. And that's a really important point. And um, there was a big study that was done a few years ago on the effect of social isolation on longevity, which showed that it has the same risk as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Mm -hmm. So it's often an underestimated thing that flies under the radar. And there's other research that shows that 40% of people feel lonely at work. So for leaders to know that, I think is really important because often it's people that feel lonely or a bit disconnected they're also the types of people that are less likely to speak up about it um, and to share uh, their thoughts and feelings around that so it's it can be difficult to pick up so knowing that on average 40% of people do feel lonely at work I think just adds to that I guess awareness um, awareness for leaders to have about the importance of doing things like eating together which is such an accessible activity and affordable you know if we think about team building and culture building we think about taking teams off site or running retreats or I don't know rope climbing courses or anything like that you know it's quite expensive can be a lot of time involved whereas eating together is such an accessible daily thing that can easily be built into the culture and that can really help to create that sense of belonging that can really help to address feelings of loneliness in the workplace. Yeah I absolutely agree. And also help to connect leaders because we know that loneliness affects leaders as well as much if not more as others within a team so connecting the leaders to their teams is also of course valuable and I was just going to say exactly that I work with a lot of CEOs and very senior leaders and one of the things that a lot of them say to me is that the, the, the as they become more senior they're becoming more lonely 
because they don't have people they can talk to about the issues and the challenge that they face because they, they can't talk to their board because their board, they don't want their board to lose confidence in them and they don't feel that they can share their feelings of loneliness and anxiety with their staff because their staff look up to them. And mm. so it's a real problem and I think it's a growing problem that needs to be thought through as to how you can address it both as an individual and as an organisation. Um, but I also think if you if you do spend that time together doing something that is a part of day-to-day life like having lunch or having a cup of tea together, then it helps break down some of those barriers. Yes, and one of the books I read over Christmas was Simon Sinek's Leaders Eat Last. Mm. And uh, you know, one of the metaphor of Leaders Eat Last is about leaders putting their team first, which is a perspective that makes sense. But I also think that leaders actually eat together with their team. Um, and and that in his book he talks about a circle of safety, you know, in terms of leaders eating. So, so I, I see that as leaders eating together with their team, creating that circle of safety. And we think about, you know, we, we eat, we often, we're eating kind of in a circle or maybe a rectangle, but, you know, around a table. And that, that circle of safety the, where the leader is part of the team and it helps to break down hierarchy because you're kind of in the same circle, you're in the same level, you're eating, particularly if you share food from shared plates, you're you're eating the same food from the same table at the same time, it helps to really address that kind of sense of hierarchy. Putting a leader together with their team, eating together with their team, I think is a really good kind of a symbolic way of creating that that circle of safety that he talks about in that book that creates belonging and trust. And if you're strong on the inside, if an organisation is strong on the inside, it helps to really, um, you know, compete effectively on the outside, if that makes sense. Yeah, it really does. And I've been thinking about that book, Leaders Eat Last. I haven't read it yet. And one of the reasons I haven't is because I absolutely loathe and despise that whole concept of Leaders Eat Last because I believe that a true leader will join in with their team and, as you've said, eat together and do things together. So the first time I heard of that book, I just went, oh, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I know. That kind of, to me, that says, I think I'm better than you because I'm not going to eat with you as opposed to let's all get in and do it together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's used it as a metaphor for, say, putting the team first versus actually kind of, well, well, and, and he does talk about, well, if they needed to, a leader would give their team the food off their plate is kind of about the extent of the food analogy that that kind of yeah and I and I book. do understand it's a metaphor but I just think it's a really crappy one <laughs> yeah yeah no I'm quite happy to say it. no I don't actually um put a little quote together myself around to what eaters, leaders don't eat last they eat together with their team mm, um, and yeah. I posted that recently on LinkedIn so <laughs> I'm with you yeah I like that so We've only got a few minutes left and one of the questions I always ask is what's a book that's impacted you recently? So clearly that one has. Is there anything else that you've read recently um, that you're loving or that you've loved and that you'd like to share? There is a book I'm reading now, actually really recently just got it, but it's called Thinking and Eating, two of my favourite things in the one book. So just the title alone is enough to grab me, but it's called Thinking and Eating. It's by the School of Life and it's Recipes to Nourish and Inspire. And it's written by a team of philosophers, chefs and psychologists, and it kind of marries psychology and cooking and eating in a symbolic way. And it's kind of a guide to help us 
eat and look at foods in a way that connects food with feeling being kinder to yourself or feeling more relaxed or how we can face everyday challenges. So I, I just really like that intersection between the thinking and the eating. Oh, I love um, that. So I'm really enjoying mm. that. And I, it's a book I'm sure that you would love. I'm fairly confident that I would and I love <laughs> the title of that one, so I'm going to go and check it out. <laughs> That's it. Now I've got two super important questions. What do you love to cook? And what do you love to eat? I love to cook salmon. Um, it's my favourite food with the, the skin really crispy mm. on the bottom. So Yum, me too. Yeah, that would kind of be my favourite thing to cook and to eat. Well, my husband is such a good cook. I'm so lucky that pretty much anything that he cooks, I love to eat. But in particular, because he's Italian heritage, of course, pasta is is, mm. is always always great and we have a great vegetable garden so you know he does some really beautiful simple dishes with simple ingredients that just taste great so he does like a spaghetti vongole which is spaghetti with the clams with, with the clams, clams and just with garlic and olive oil and some herbs um, oh my god it's really yum. one of my favorites <laughs> like yum. it is after lunch <laughs> <laughs> and i think something that you just said is that he uses really simple ingredients. I think that's a really great metaphor for leadership because a lot of leaders overthink what they need to be doing to be a good leader. And I think the more you can keep it simple, you know, be kind, show empathy, be grateful, just like good food, the, the more successful it is and the more delicious and kind and loving it is. Yes, I really love that, mm. that mm. idea for sure, yes. Well, thank you so much for having this conversation. I now want to go and cook up some crispy skin salmon. <laughs> Do you have any tips to make it crispy? Because quite often mine doesn't work. Well, I put a, a blend of olive oil and butter in the pan. So I cook the other sides first and then cook the skin side last Okay, uh, and just leave it for long enough that it goes crispy great thank you I will try that a little bit of butter in the pan <laughs> yeah butter makes everything better in my in my view <laughs> and it's good to see a dietitian talking about and advocating for butter <laughs> you know everything has a place and you've got to match the right ingredient with the right food and you know it's like People often ask, what's the right oil to use? Well, if you're cooking a Thai dish, it's stir fry, you know, use peanut oil. Or if you're cooking something Indian, use ghee, you know, mm. you match the oil with the cuisine. Absolutely. So thank you so much. Where can people find you if they would like more? And where can people buy your new book, Eating Together, Build Team Connection and Workplace Culture Through the Power of Food? Uh, so they can find me at my website, which is SharonNatoli.com or LinkedIn or um, Twitter or Instagram by searching my name. And on my website, there's a page called Books, which is where you'll be able to order the book. Great. And that's out in May. Is that right? Fantastic. Yes. I'm super excited to be reading that. Thank you very much. Have a fabulous rest of the week and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, Mel. Thanks for having me. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please hit subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you really liked what you heard, please leave me a review on iTunes or a recommendation on LinkedIn or both. 
The show notes are all on the website, melkettle.com forward slash podcast. And I'd love you to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. You'll find me at Mel Kettle. See you next time and stay connected. Bye. Thank you.